Welcome back to the Courtside Podcast, and I've been going not just from the NBA Finals, but also it's like the start of free agency is going on right now. More John Morant news coming out, head coaching hires, and then is Christian Wood potentially a future Miami Heat player? Is LeBron James really going to go join Luka, let alone how is that even going to happen to even get Kyrie? And when did Kyrie even recruit, let alone when did it ever work? So I'm going to go into a lot of that in this episode. And of course, I'm going to break down a little bit of what I saw in the first two crazy games of the NBA Finals with the Denver Nuggets and Miami Heat, which I still can't believe that's even a sentence. Um, but here we are, tied at 1-1, going back to Miami for those two. So I'm going to break down that series at the end of this podcast. So stay tuned throughout the episode. This episode of the Courtside Podcast is brought to you by YouTube channels, Hiram Temptation and Captain Barbo, who meet content on YouTube weekly. For Captain Barbo people, I'm telling you right now, if you've not seen this kid on YouTube, you have to go right now and check him out. He's quickly growing his channel. He has about 3.6 thousand followers. And a majority of his videos, let alone if you're an Elden Ring fan, if you're a Dark Souls fan, if you're into those type of games, trust me, this is a guy you do not want to miss out on. So that's Captain Barbo. Then how representation, I mean, he's just a group of guys and it, it feels like family fun without the family part, right? So definitely check out both of those channels on YouTube, and of course, subscribe to this podcast. You know, when I said that it was the start of NBA free agency, you know, I wasn't really speaking about the players. However, it's definitely for the head coaches, though. And just in general, I mean, the the coaching hires, what is going on right now in the NBA? It's like everyone's swip-swapping these over 500 win coaches, these guys who have obviously deserve a job in the NBA and for what reason? I mean, there's a lot of downgrades and there's a lot of upgrades. But let's just look right through them. Let's first start with the Philadelphia 76ers. They get rid of Doc Rivers. Guy couldn't get himself past the second round with Philadelphia. And of course, that also meant that Joel Embiid, who has probably had his best team he's ever had in Philadelphia this past season with James Harden. And of course, the cast of Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, and others. They haven't really been able to go over the hump with Doc Rivers. And it's almost like... Since, of course, the 2008 championship with the Boston Celtics, Doc Rivers has not had the best career record in the NBA playoffs. Multiple 3-1 leads to be just dropped in Game 7s. With He was with the Clippers at the time. Philadelphia, they haven't been able to get past the second round, as I mentioned past before. And have they ever been a number one seed in the Eastern Conference? They've always been up there, though. It's not. I'm not saying it's a mediocre team. But the franchise doesn't really give you a lot of hope where, man, this is a real contender. Besides, of course, this year where you felt, man, a full season with James Harden. This team actually looks good. Joel Embiid, MVP, finally. I mean, this could be it. It wasn't it. It wasn't it. Doc Rivers, immediately right after that Game 7 loss against the Boston Celtics in Round 2, he was fired. And then the head coaching hunt was on its way. And this is a time where, I mean... They were, I don't even know how these guys even got available. Toronto, firing Nick Nurse, I guess because of a couple of years of them kind of depleting away from their championship high. So Nick Nurse is now going to be a part of someone else's championship while the Toronto Raptors are on a rebuild mode, in my honest opinion. And then Monty Williams of the Phoenix Suns. The Suns got kicked out in the second round against the Denver Nuggets, and that was a series that was golden. Now, Monty Williams and Devin Booker, they've been... I mean, that is like a duo you cannot split up. For that duo, I put it even in comparison of basically players who coach throughout the entire career of huge name guys. We're talking about like Dwayne Wade, Eric Spolstra. 
We're talking about Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson. Again, like different levels to it, but you know what I'm trying to say. Devin Booker and Monty Williams, they needed each other. They both seceded together. And without Monty Williams, who knows exactly where the Suns team would be right now. This wouldn't be a championship caliber Suns team if it wasn't for Devin Booker, nor if it wasn't for Monty Williams, where they kind of started in the bubble and took away back to Phoenix. So this is a lot of weird coaches being available. But as I mentioned before, uh, for Philadelphia themselves, again, Nick Nurse, the guy's you know, more of a heavy offensive guy. And the weird thing about him is that Morrissey, the GM, a guy that's heavily all about statistics, statistics, and numbers, I don't think this is a good fit between the two. Again, there's probably a good relationship there. You know, a collaborative, we want to win in Philadelphia. But Nick Nurse, I mean, you look at the players he's had got. You look at the guys, he, he knows how to build a team. Now, if Morrissey can really help build this roster around Nick Nurse's image, and I believe that Nick Nurse can really put up a good basketball roster. I mean, look at what Toronto had before he left, working with the GM in the front office over there in Toronto. I mean, they had a good cast of guys. Like, what, we're talking about Scotty Barnes. We're talking about, at the time, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi. I mean, they had guys that you can say, yeah, we can build a future here. So for Philadelphia, hopefully they'll give Nick Nurse some breathing room there, depending, of course, on Morrissey, who was a heavy statistic guy that would just bring in guys that are like, oh, he can shoot a three really well. We should bring him in. Now that's just, again, back to 2018 Houston, but this 2023 Philadelphia team, different build, but Salem, it's like the same thing. I mean, they got James Harden, for Christ's sake. So hopefully Nick Nurse able to get the reins there in Philadelphia. Then, as I mentioned before, Monty Williams. Monty Williams taking the Detroit job. Now, I, I do like the move, though, where Detroit is. We're talking about a team that is kind of still in that rebuilding phase. They had one of the lowest three records during the regular season this season. So, when you look at Detroit with Cade Cunningham, with Jalen Duran, I mean, they got guys. Jaden Ivey, if he goes through an entire season completely healthy and hopefully has a big jump next year. That is a Detroit team that is on the brink of the next five years becoming a big playoff team, in my honest opinion. Out of all the coaching hires, that was probably my favorite one. I love the fact that Monty Williams is taking over where Dwayne Casey was. I love the fact that Monty Williams is still coaching in the NBA. And for myself, I would have loved to see my team personally take Monty Williams. I think anybody would have loved to see any team take Monty Williams. That's the type of coach he is. But with that being said, Monty Williams leaving the Phoenix Suns after a chance at the finals in 2021, multiple playoff runs, guess who they replaced him with? The former Indiana Pacers and Los Angeles Lakers head coach, Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel, the guy that looks like freaking Joe from Impractical Jokers, the guy who's basically not saying he's a joke or anything like that but mostly known for not doing anything on the sideline in the 2020 bubble with the Los Angeles Lakers championship team. That is a guy that will be head coach of a team like the Suns with Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Aiden, and a whole bunch of guys. TJ Warren. I mean, they got a championship roster and vocal, who again, won a championship, so you can't really you know get on him. But this guy will be coaching him out of all the guys that are available over Monty Williams. And in that situation, especially if you're getting vocal like that and not saying, you know, yeah, we have to see what happens. But, man, you, you cannot win in that situation. For Monty, to let go Monty Williams, that is a generational type of coach. A guy that can 
easily take you deep playoff runs every single year, let alone. This is a guy that went to the NBA Finals not too long ago. And for me, the only reason why the Phoenix Suns, with a new owner, would be able to do this move. Again, the same reason why they were able to do the Kevin Durant move. It's a new owner with not a lot of relationships yet. And they're looking to win right now. So maybe they're looking for a guy that Frank Vogel, yeah, we can, you know, championship caliber type of guy. You know, he had that pedigree on him, on his resume. But again, similar to a Doc Rivers, which I mentioned before, the guy's been to a championship. But what else afterwards, right? How many Eastern Conference Finals he been to with Indiana? And how long ago was that? How much did he really do as head coach of that LeBron James-led Lakers team? Which again, LeBron-led Lakers team. There's not a lot of LeBron-led teams that win championships. And you think of the head coach immediately. Unless you want to talk about Ty Lue, who proved himself in 2021 with the Clippers going to Western Conference Finals. But either way, this is a coaching hire that I think it gives the guys on the floor more control of the team. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things for a guy like Kevin Durant. You know, you ask yourself the Steve Nash hire back in Brooklyn. Why did Brooklyn do it? This guy had no coaching experience. And you're going to put him on the head bench in front of Mike D'Antoni? doesn't make a lot of sense until you realize the guys on the floor and who they are. Devin Booker gets more opportunities. Kevin Durant gets more open in what he wants to do. And, of course, the bench itself, I mean, they really did struggle after that trade to get KD. No Cam Johnson, no Mikael Bridges. So they need to find something. So watch this offseason, what KD is able to cook up with a GM. And, of course, what Frank Vogel can do as a head coach. But one of the most interesting ones, which I think this hire will go into what will happen in free agency, the Milwaukee Bucks fighting Mike Boonehoser after a terrible, ferocious first-round exit against the Miami Heat in five games as the number one seed. They fired Boonehoser, and they ended up hiring the Toronto Raptors assistant, Adrian Griffin, who was, of course, a former NBA player who did play for the Milwaukee Bucks for a time. Now, this is a, I think it's a good hire, personally. I mean, again, this is a guy who is getting his first ever head coaching job in the NBA that is more of a player's coach from what I'm seeing right now, but assistant staff under Nick Nurse, though. So he can really move some of these guys on roster to be improving themselves, especially a lot of the role players on that Milwaukee team. However, this is a Milwaukee team with a lot of guys looking at free agency. Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, all those guys can be gone. Two starters, two of them former all-stars in this NBA could be leaving Milwaukee. And I say that this is a coaching hire that can really affect free agency because of those two guys. I don't know if Milton wants to stay for that. And for Brook Lopez, I mean, he was a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, he's had this part of his career where it's like, man, I won a championship. I'm getting pretty on the second half of my career. I really do not want to be in a situation where I had to go in Milwaukee. Like, I mean, shoot, he might even go back to Brooklyn if the price is right. He's probably looking for the best price at this moment. So from that, look at one of two things this free agency when it starts after the NBA Finals. Look for A, if they do leave, it's going to be more than just those two. And B, if they stay, that just really tells you what Adrian Griffin can do as a head coach before even coaching a single game as a head coach in an NBA regular season. So with that being said, the head coaching hires are just going nuts right now. Doc Rivers is still looking for a job. 
Um, and of course, that would probably, again, it's easily to say he could probably not even get a job until later on, deep into the season. If you ask me, I think that, I mean, shoot, I mean, I would probably even see him on the Pelicans. I would probably, I can definitely see him on the Pelicans coaching bench. And that's if they want to go ahead and fire the main guy they have right now in New Orleans. But still, a lot of moves waiting to happen. And again, these coaching hires, they will affect free agency. That's a guarantee. And speaking of which, we got the first, I don't want to say tampering, but we got the first big recruitment of this offseason. Kyrie Irving, as it was reported yesterday, all over NBA Twitter, people are talking about it. He's trying to recruit LeBron James to the Dallas Mavericks with Luka Doncic. First, how are you going to even get him over there without getting rid of Luka? Second, when did Kyrie Irving ever start recruiting guys? And three, when he has recruited guys, has it really worked? Has it really worked out for Kyrie? We're talking about a guy that went to Brooklyn with Kevin Durant, and they're like, hey, let's get James Harden. Hey, let's get Andre Drummond to come on this team. Hey, let's get Seth Curry. This isn't really a guy that's going to be recruiting for Dallas, especially Dallas. How many things do you think Dallas needs right now? Do you think their bench is okay after getting rid of Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie, after getting rid of all those guys in the past few years? Do you think that bench is still, you know, live enough to even go out and get yourself a championship right now, even LeBron joins? How big do you think the cap space is over there? They got Luka Doncic waiting to get on a big contract. And of course, Kyrie Irving, if he's looking to get back to Dallas, which it looks like he is, with this type of move, you think LeBron James is going to be able to get traded away, let alone Rob Palenka to do that trade with the Los Angeles Lakers and say, yeah, we spent a lot of money on this guy. This guy has basically been our franchise for the past five years. Let's ship him out and let's get some random dudes. Let's get Christian Wood, a couple of first rounds. Let's go crazy for the future. Let's just have Anthony Davis and Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves as the big three in Los Angeles. This is a Los Angeles Lakers team that went to the Western Conference Finals out of nowhere. The Dallas Mavericks with Kyrie were a top four team in the NBA Western Conference. And they dropped all the way down to 13th. They didn't even make a play-in tournament appearance this season. You cannot tell me LeBron James wants to join into that. At this part of his career, he's looking to retire as a Laker and stay as a Laker. He's trying to stay in Los Angeles, Southern Cal, watch his kid in SoCal, with the Trojans playing basketball in Brawny. And he has his other son that's right now still in Sierra Canyon or whatever the high school is. He's not going to be leaving Los Angeles. He won't even leave the West Coast. If he's not seeing water, I don't know what to tell you. The only time he's not seeing water at his house is if he's back in Ohio and Cleveland. So there's no way that's going to happen. But again, it's the first type of big type of recruitment that we're seeing right now. And this has been in the making, though. But I thought it was going to be on the other way. For example, Kyrie Irving, ever since the Dallas Mavericks season ended, he's been making these small, like a little attempts of, I'm watching LeBron right now, or I'm not there for LeBron. I mean, he's been showing up to these Laker games. He showed up to game four of Lakers versus Denver in the Western Conference Finals. Courtside, mind you. How is that not tampering? You know, I was on a platform the other day for Plug Talk Sports, which is another podcast I show up on. If you haven't seen them, find them on YouTube, on other platforms. But, you know, we were talking about it, and I'm thinking to myself, this guy's in front of the camera. The NBA took a photo of him 
and put it on their Instagram, on their IG. And you're trying to tell me that's not a little bit tampering? The guy is courtside at the games in Los Angeles. This guy doesn't even have a house in Los Angeles from what I'm aware of. I mean, come on. Like, I understand, like, other players, like, for example, Jimmy Butler going to the retirement celebration of Pogasol and, you know, stuff like that. But it wasn't a big moment. I don't think Kyrie and LeBron have ever been, like, buddy-buddy. And the only thing I can only imagine about it, I mean, yes, they did win a championship together in Cleveland, which I don't think any other team combination of players can even say they've done that. I don't think anybody in the NBA can really say they've done that um, in a high-caliber way, in sense of all-stars doing that. But, man, if you ask me, Kyrie Irving should just be focusing on Luka Doncic and what's going on in Dallas. Get moves in, get the role players in, get these guys to fill in your bench, get your skeleton some meat on your roster, and just figure out a way to get Dallas back to what it was before. You're talking about a Dallas team with Luka Doncic, who is one of the top 10 players in the NBA right now at his young age, and you want to have him with LeBron James, almost the same type of player. You have a literal young LeBron without the huge athleticism and all that stuff on your roster. A mini Jokic, if you want to say like that. A guard Jokic, if you want to say that. So for Kyrie himself, I understand everyone's trying to recruit LeBron. I'm pretty sure there's people out there in Arkansas trying to recruit LeBron for their college program. But man, you just gotta focus on what's ahead of you. You got Luka. There's a lot of teams that want Luka. And you got him right there in your roster. So work with him. I hope they do. I really do. Because if they don't, Mark Cuban, he's going to be you know, ripping his head out. Uh, seeing Kyrie Irving change the team that he has. But besides that, that's more or less what's going on right now in the offseason. And be- actually, before we even go into NBA Finals, I just want to say on the John Morant news. Apparently there's word that he could be suspended for more or just about half the season next year. For the Memphis Grizzlies, and I understand top three draft pick, the guy's a generational player, all-star, all that. But do you really want that on your team? I mean, you're looking at a roster with probably only guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain. And, you know, of course, Steve Adams. I think Steven Adams definitely are the, the safest guys on that roster where you say, yeah, these are the guys we need to keep. The rest of that team, man, in Memphis, you can really skin them out you can really let them out in free agency you know that team you know skin them to the bone get only those three players there and if you want to keep john morant keep john morant but i'm telling you right now i don't think they want to wait to see the end of this i I don't even think this is the end of anything that's going on with john morant john morant himself who has been on social media i mean he's been unfollowing the the wrong people which i guess is a good start from what i'm hearing overall on social media, but at the end of the day, has he shown signs of change? Not really. He's shown signs of apologies, if that's something you want to say on. He's shown signs of being on TV for a PR, but besides that, what he does off the court, away from the camera, I mean, he's still living that type of lifestyle where, and I understand the idea of he hasn't really done anything wrong. He's just, you know, doing his own leisure. At the end of the day, you're representing the NBA, a billion dollar industry. On the biggest stage, it's a global game. And I think it's at its peak right now in the sense of popularity. This is not the image you want one of your all-stars to have. And especially an all-star like John Morant, who is everywhere, who is starting to get into shoe deals, starting to get into commercials. This isn't the image. 
So for John Moran himself, as I said before in previous podcasts before, hopefully he gets the right help and hopefully he does get himself back onto the court. But for the Memphis Grizzlies, I think this is a sign of leave him now or stay for the ride. So John Morant, there is question about it. I know Adam Silver didn't want to talk about this whole suspension thing during the NBA Finals because that would distract a lot of people from this series. But man, if it is really coming out to half a season, I don't see things it's going to be worse than that. I mean, Memphis has really got to talk about not making the playoffs next year. And they were, this was a second seed in the West last season. So that's going to be a real big discussion for them. But before I'm going to go jump into the NBA Finals, we're just going to take a real quick break after this message. This episode of the Courtside Podcast is brought to you by YouTube channels, Hiram Temptation, and Captain Barber, who make content on YouTube weekly. Now, I don't usually do a second commercial, but this is a time where you need to hear a second information about these two YouTube channels. One of them is growing really fast in Captain Barbo. Already at 3.6 thousand views. The other one, it's growing on its own. It's got a lot of things. If you're a Sonic fan as well with Hyman Temptation, go check out Hyman Temptation. It's a lot of family fun without the family part. It's a couple of friends just going out there, Jackbox. We're talking about also Sonic games. They just have a good laugh. If you got like a good 30 minutes, like let's say a lunch break, right? If you're having a lunch break, you want a little bit of TV in front of it, Drop the TV, get your iPhone, get your Samsung Galaxy, and get YouTube up to look up some Highway Temptation and as well, Captain Barbell videos. So don't forget to go on YouTube to subscribe to those channels, and of course, follow the podcast. Now we're at the point where you have to talk about NBA Finals. And honestly, after Game 1, I thought this series was going to be the worst NBA Finals series of my lifetime. It just looked like Game 1 was boring. It was just, and again, this is me, a guy who personally, I'm a Celtic fan, but I can't get away from this game. You know, all the things I do reporting-wise, all the things I do NBA talk-wise is very unbiased. But, man, watching this first game, I was just like, how did the Celtics not get past this Heat team? The Miami Heat were down a lot throughout this entire game. There was even a point where I believe they were down by 20 points midway through this game. And I just thought to myself, man, is this, are they back to a regular season Miami Heat? The Miami Heat had two players that didn't even get close to five points in this game. And these are two players no one expected to be this bad after the way they went through the Eastern Conference. Caleb Martin, game one of the NBA Finals, three points, four rebounds, one and seven from the floor. Man shot 14% overall. Max Struess, 10 shots. Nine of the 10 shots he took that night came from the three-point range. He was 0-10. The guy had zero points. Nada. This was an embarrassing game for the Miami Heat offensively, but it did show something that I think does give a little bit of life after game one. Gabe Vincent and Bam Adebayo, who I honestly think Gabe Vincent himself he really has just stolen away this starting lineup role over Kyle Lowry throughout these playoffs. And of course, even before this in the regular season, uh, Gabe Vincent himself had 19 points. He was on the floor for like 38 to 37 minutes. But the biggest thing is in the Celtics series with the Miami Heat during the Eastern Conference Finals, it was really hard to even find Bam Adebayo to get even chances for shots inside, even when they had mismatches, because that's the way that the Celtics defense rolls. They kind of avoid even getting things started for a player by just closing that gap for the passes. The Denver Nuggets, they really did not care. Let Bam have the ball. 
Bam Adebayo, 26 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists. He shot 25 shots. He made 52% of those. Now, this is going to be a Bam Adebayo series. I mean, you got a guy that's a two-time MVP on the other side of the court. you got to have Bam, his touches. And speaking of, let's just look a little bit of that game that two-time MVP Nikola Jokic had in Game 1. 27 points, 10 rebounds, 14 assists. That's another triple-double for the big man out of Eastern Europe. And when you look at overall, the team, and they've just been playing like this with Mike Malone, it's a heavily aggressive team, but the ball movement, it's all there, man. There was really quick stuff. It was honestly, as an NBA fan, it was beautiful to watch, really, but the Denver Nuggets have been able to just orchestrate on offense in that game one, where they got on this crazy stretch to start off the game. Guys are going super fast inside. Michael Porter Jr., who finished with 14 points, 13 rebounds. The guy is a shooter. For about half of his 43 minutes, he played a majority of his game inside of the three-point arc. So that's really impressive, in my honest opinion. Aaron Gordon was just using Cody Zeller. I mean, I call him specifically Phantom of the Zeller because, you know, Cody Zeller wears that mask. But more or less, he looks like a ghost of himself out there. That guy, Cody Zeller, is getting bullied inside the paint in the area. And, I mean, you just look at his game. He barely even got on the floor for seven and a half minutes. He put up zero points and was only able to get up one shot. That's the type of game Cody Zeller had with Aaron Gordon and Jokic inside playing defense. So a majority of the Miami Heat throughout actually these first two games have been using not inside the paint, but have used mid-range, which you don't see a lot of NBA teams go to. But kind of an old style. Eric Sposher, he's known to do that. So the Miami Heat, they were unable to even get a lead really in game one where Denver took it 104 to 93. But then game two comes and I think Miami just saved their season with this game two performance. And for this game two, this was a game that Miami, of course, they need a win. You don't want to be in a 2-0 hole. Miami throughout this entire playoffs has never been down two games, which is really weird to say. But the Miami Heat, as an eighth seed, went to Denver and they had their guys playing lights out. Max Drews, zero points. Caleb Martin, three points. It wasn't that type of game anymore. Max Drews, 14 points. He had an incredible start to the game. Miami was up by double digits in the first four minutes of this contest. And then Max, I mean, Max went off himself, though. He was moving around. It looked like he was really getting the job done. And still using that three ball, I kid you not. Every single shot he took that night came from three off the wings. It was ridiculous. The guy shot four of ten. But Caleb Martin, this time coming off the bench and kind of reducted his minutes. Kevin Love ended up starting, and you know, for those who do watch this Miami Heat team, when Kevin Love does start, this team, for some reason, just gets rejuvenized. They start winning games. But Kayla Martin ended up getting his minutes crunched down. Didn't have the best game either, I do have to say. So apologies if I gave you a little bit of hope, but no hope for Kayla Martin in game two. Three points, one and three shooting for the floor. But he did have some moments on defense where he ended up getting a steal on the block throughout the game. And again, this is a game where there was momentum switches like crazy. Miami has a double-digit lead, then Denver has a double-digit lead off of Jamal Murray. Just flamethrower type of performance midway through the game. Then Miami takes it back off of Duncan Robinson, who Duncan Robinson himself, the guy had, what, 10 points? All 10 of those points came in the fourth quarter. It was an insane fourth-quarter run where the Miami Heat shut down this Nuggets team. Where, I mean, you just look at the final out of the fourth quarter. 36 points for Miami, 25 for the Nuggets. 
And for the Nuggets themselves, I don't even think they got past double digits until like midway through that game. Uh, my apologies, midway through that fourth quarter. What What is going on in Denver right now? I mean, you got Jokic who had a 41-point game. And of course, this guy is always going to give you big numbers. He had a double-double that night. However, didn't get the ball moving around. I think Miami, they did encase him a little bit to a point where you can't really have him move the ball. He just has to take it himself. And again, this is a guy like Jokic. He can do the offense if he needs to. And it looked like he really did. Look at the rest of the Denver roster. Michael Porter Jr., 5 points. Aaron Gordon, 12 points. Caldwell Pope. Caldwell Pope had his worst game overall, I think, of these playoffs. He only shot the ball at a clip of 25%. He only made one three-pointer. He was 1-3 overall from three. So three shot attempts from three. Did not look like a good start. Honestly, he couldn't even get himself an opening to even drive inside. Jamal Murray. A flamethrower kid. The guy went crazy in the second quarter, I remember, before the half. He had 18 points, 10 assists. He was doing the majority of the offensive work, you know, for facilitating the floor. But what about the bench? Bruce Brown, 11 points. Jeff Green, 9 points. Braun, 6 points. I mean, are they going to go anywhere else on this roster besides this 8-man rotation? And I get the NBA Finals and let alone the playoffs. You're always going to find guys that are going to be you know, on the floor no matter what happens. But is Thomas Bryant going to make an appearance? Is Reggie Jackson going to make an appearance in this one? I just want to see something else work for Denver because I feel they have guys that obviously Denver could easily have swept this Miami Heat team. But do they They got guys that are just inconsistent, though. Michael Porter Jr., a little bit inconsistent of himself. And I have a lot of high regard for Michael Porter Jr. I honestly think he could be a great NBA player. And, of course, he's part of his career where he's getting past the injuries. So Michael Porter Jr. could be doing something great. Unfortunately, he wasn't doing much in Game 2. Aaron Gordon, he could be a huge piece for that team down the stretch and, you know, transition offense. Didn't do much either. Caldwell Pope, terrible game. As I mentioned before, the guy just looked like a shell of himself. And with that being said, that led to this Denver team losing 111 to 108 to the Miami Heat, with the Heat now taking this game to be tied back to South Beach on Wednesday. It's a situation where for Denver, obviously, you don't want to be in tied after winning every single game on your home floor and to have to lose one of them in the worst scenarios in the NBA Finals. But, man, it was a close game even when Denver's worst night. And a night where Jokic had to score 41, Jamal Murray had to get 18. It was a terrible night for Denver basketball and offense. And if you look at just the two, for two first games, the Miami Heat defensively, 108 for Denver in game two, and then game one, 104 for Denver. This is a team in the Denver Nuggets who, majority of the time, they get at least 110 plus, maybe even 115 in sense of the NBA standards and scoring. This Heat team has been a defensive stagnant into the side of the Denver Nuggets. And why is that? Well, it's the zone defense, but in game one, they switch a little bit more of, you get the zone defense out when Jokic is on the floor, but you get man-to-man defense when he's on the floor and you got to be able to be in his face. That sort of man defense, that was something that was crazy in game two. They went up into everyone. Of course, Jokic didn't even matter if Bam and Abayo or Cody Zilla was on him. He was going to make baskets all the time. But for the rest of the cast at Denver, I mean, Jamal Murray had to make some crazy shots just to get a tempt off. So that's the type of defense that Denver is going to be facing against the Miami Heat, who have 
not saying abandon the zone, that's kind of like a trademark copyright zone for them in Eric Spolstra, but man, they have just been insane defensively. They've been really be able to adapt in these situations. In 5,000 feet above sea level, they've been able to adapt into high intensity on basketball. So now going into game three, what are the takeaways from the first two games? There's three things I take away. I'm going to go into Denver, then Heat, and to the big thing. The first one for the Miami Heat. I think that for that fourth quarter, as I mentioned before, the Miami Heat outscored the Denver Nuggets by more than 10 points in game two. That was because of a lot of, yeah, Bam Adebayo was doing a good job. I mean, he had himself a huge game, a huge night in general in game two, where you end up finishing off that game with 21 points, 9 rebounds, and played a majority of 40 minutes. This will be a game series where you have Bam Adebayo having nights like that. However, the biggest thing in the fourth quarter was Duncan Robinson. As I mentioned before earlier in this podcast, man had 10 points, all of his points in the fourth quarter. He was aggressive. He was attacking inside. He wasn't just this spot-up shooter. And you look at the shots overall for Duncan Robinson. From his 10 points, 4 and 5 overall from the floor, 2 and 3 from 3. So this guy, yeah, sure, more than half of it was behind the arc. But at the same time, he was really efficient taking guys inside and getting them off footing. So with that being said, they need more usage out of their main player, Jimmy Butler. And Butler, I mean, he's been present in this series. The man at 21 points, was on the floor for 40 minutes, almost had a double-double with 9 assists. But the guy is shooting below 40% from the floor. The guy himself has yet to have a 30-point game in this series, let alone he hasn't had a 30-point game since Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals. For Jimmy Butler, and this is a word usage, which gets thrown around in basketball a lot, you need a guy that does everything, get you a basket at the last minute. That has been Bam and Abayo throughout these first two games. So with that being said, Jimmy Butler, I understand he's going through some family things right now. I believe that's being reported in the media. But he's definitely going to have to show up a little bit more to get comfortable wins. I mean, this was a game two where super energetic. I thought, you know, the series was over after game one. And then the Miami Heat coming out of nowhere. But this wasn't a comfortable win for Miami. Miami, who took double-digit leads multiple times throughout this game, they really were on the brink. I mean, Jamal Murray had a last-minute shot that hit the back of the rim. That type of shot, whatever, it went in and would have gone overtime. I don't think the Heat would have won in overtime. So you have this situation where you need guys to step up, even though 21 points is good. But for Jimmy Butler, the way they put him at a standard of this guy is our superstar or all-star, he's not going to win finals MVP if the Heat win it all, in my honest opinion, after these first two games. It's Bam. It really is Bam. So they need Jimmy Butler to come out. And now for the Denver side of things, you just need more consistency on offense. This is a Miami Heat team that's playing great defense on everyone but Jokic and Jamal Murray, who, again, Murray has just been phenomenal since the bubble. If it wasn't for his injury in 2021, he probably would have been a ridiculous all-star type of player deep into this point where you can even say that he's a top 15, top 10 guard right now, currently active in the NBA. And maybe even after this finals, you can even make the argument for that. That's another episode. That's another day for a conversation. But the consistency, though, Bruce Brown's got to be more consistent. Michael Porter Jr. has got to be consistent. There was a point in the fourth quarter, and as well, midway through the third, I want to say, that you had Denver, who had this lead. They were getting themselves availability on shots, but they weren't able to match the Miami Heat at all. And that's the way they lost leads. You know, the Heat go on a run, and they can't respond. 
In game one, the Miami Heat brought the game down to, I believe, wanted to say like nine points or so. And Denver immediately was like, we're not having that. We're not having that. And they just responded immediately with easy baskets moving around. I didn't see that at all in game two in the second half of that game. I didn't see Denver controlling themselves. I didn't even see the intensity, you know, being controlled. I saw the intensity eating them alive late. Unless you want to talk about the last two to three minutes of that game. But if you ask me, Denver needs to be more consistent. And they got to tell themselves, hey, we're the better ball club. We've got a two-time MVP. we got an all-star in Jamal Murray. who's playing his best game as yet. they got to be able to get consistency back on their side and somehow do not get flustered when the Miami Heat start making shots. And the last thing I want to say, which I think is probably the most important part of this series, it's going to be heavily on the shoulders of a couple of guys on Miami if they want to get the job done. For Denver, they know they got jokers to rely on. They need more consistency out of their main role, guys. I get that. But through the Eastern Conference Finals, and a majority of these NBA playoffs in the Eastern Conference, Caleb Martin was kind of the guy for Miami, was the second biggest time scorer for Miami as a role player. The guy was basically playing like an all-star. It's ridiculous. But for Caleb Martin, he shot 40% overall from the floor or better in the Eastern Conference Finals. He's been shooting better than 32% overall from the floor throughout a majority. I wouldn't even want to say that. 35% or more better from the floor. There shouldn't be a reason in these NBA Finals where they need him the most to be an efficient scorer for him to be shooting like this. 30% games, 20% games. There's no reason for it at all. If you ask me, he could potentially be the reason why the Miami Heat go on to win this NBA championship as an AFC, the first time ever in the NBA's 77 or so year history. So this series, Bam Adebayo, I think he's really going to win the finals MVP if Miami's able to get this thing out. But man, they need Caleb Martin to help him out. They need someone to help him out. Because Duncan Robinson can't be doing it every single night. And Duncan Robinson, I mean, I'm telling you, he's been balling. Like, since game three in the Eastern Conference Finals, the guy's been, like, confident going out. And the type of confidence where it's like, man... I should really be on this floor doing everything that I can. But we'll see if Caleb Martin is able to get that with the first game of this series going to South Beach in Miami on Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Series tied at one apiece between the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. And before actually I go into just ending the podcast itself, I do want to say one thing because on Twitter, you know, I'm more of a huge, not, not only an NBA guy, but just a general basketball guy. With the FIBA World Cup coming up, they've been showing out images of the roster for the USA team. A lot of guys are joining in. Austin Reeves is joining. Brandon Ingram is joining. Mikhail Bridges is joining. Actually, just going the rest of the roster itself. Bobby Portis, Jaron Jackson Jr., Tyrese Halliburton, which I think is a huge addition. Anthony Edwards and Jalen Brunson. I'm telling you right now, this is a USA team, and I love to watch them when they were in the Olympics in Tokyo, this is a team that can easily get the job done. But this is going to be a huge, like, this cast of players are guys who want to prove something. Anthony Edwards, still in his young part of his NBA career. Tyrese Halliburton as well on the same page. They're looking to prove themselves that they can be champions and win gold somewhere. Brandon Ingram, obviously an all-star with a KD type of build, but he's been his own player that he's been building out in New Orleans. And Austin Reeves, this is a huge contract deal type of move for him. If he does really well and succeeds, I mean, we're talking about a guy that can easily get himself close to $20 million a year 
15 million a year. That's the type of ball he's been playing. And I think the Lakers are going to pay him that. As crazy as that sounds. So this is a feeble World Cup team that I think this year can definitely win gold. Uh, they still got to be able to get four more players to fill up the 12-man roster. But before I even go into that, I got killed by Keith Smith of NBA on Twitter. I accidentally said that RJ Barrett was an American player that should join the roster. I totally forgot that this man is actually Canadian. And I'm getting killed on Twitter. I think my Twitter rep has been taking a hit in the past few days. So I do apologize for those who said, oh, he's not joking. I was kind of joking. At this point, I'm joking now. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, overall from the roster itself, this is a really good NBA type of FIBA World Cup team. And for FIBA themselves in the USA, they haven't been able to get a lot of NBA guys to join in recent years. But now I'm seeing a lot of the young guys, especially the guys who haven't really proved themselves, join these type of rosters and win gold. So for FIBA, they got four more guys left. Uh, I'm hoping that they end up getting themselves a big man in the middle of this. I've been seeing a lot of these names, as I mentioned before. These guys, besides Bobby Portis and Jackson Jr., not really big-time centers. So one of the guys I would love to see on this roster, honestly, I would love to see like Mobley on this roster. I think he'll be a great addition for FIBA in the USA team this season. But, of course, we'll see more additions probably in the next few days. Probably less than a week, we'll have the 12-man roster ready to go for USA and we'll be back with more NBA Finals coverage, NBA coverage here at Courtside. Thank you again for listening all the way through. If you have not followed this podcast, please do. We're available on Spotify and other streaming platforms. But we'll see you guys on the next episode.